Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to start there this morning as we continue in our series. Uh, this morning's topic is resigning as master of the board. Resign as master of the board. All right, I'd like to pray for us as we begin. Father, as we come before you today, what a privilege it is to hear from your word. And I pray that your word would do its work in our life, a refining and purifying as we seek to be a living sacrifice for you. In Jesus' name, amen. There once was a king who thought that he was the greatest king in the world. Now, I imagine many kings have probably felt that way through the years, but this king had some impressive credentials to back up his claim. He was, after all, the king of Babylon. At a time when the Babylonian Empire was at the height of its power, he was the head of gold. He was the top of the top, if you will. And some of his credentials were things like this, that he ruled over an empire that extended from the Persian Gulf to Egypt. It would encompass all of the modern-day countries of Iraq and Jordan, Israel, Syria, and Lebanon. His capital, Babylon, was the largest city in the ancient world. It's, it was impressive. It was considered to be impregnable in terms of a fortress-like uh, atmosphere that they had there. The city was built with inner and outer walls. Those walls on the inside were 300 feet in height. 80 feet in width. Uh, they had iron and bronze gates that could be defended. It had a moat around the city, and that moat extended as wide as 30 to 300 feet at different points. It was considered to be a stronghold that no one could ever take. It was a center for literature, medicine, astronomy, and worship. I find it interesting that in the area of mathematics, we still use some of their systems. They had in mathematics a sexagesimal system that was based on the number 60. And it is why still to this day we have 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour and 360 degrees in a circle, 6 times 60. It was all based upon a mathematical model that they used back then. And they had magnificent buildings temples, palaces, libraries, and gardens. The hanging gardens of Babylon were considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, these gardens were built in a terrace fashion on the tops of their buildings and hung over their walls, and it was beautiful to see. And Nebuchadnezzar, this king, ruled over it all. And then one day, it all changed. Nebuchadnezzar was warned by God about his pride, but he didn't listen. And we pick up this story in Daniel chapter 4, and I'd like to read for us verse 20, 28 and following. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, "'Is not this the great Babylon?' that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you, and you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle, 
and seven times will pass by for you, seven years, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, and he ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And then, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And at that same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar needed to resign as master of the board. And it happened in pretty dramatic fashion, didn't it? When he experienced this period of temporary insanity in his life where he lived as a wild animal out in the forest and the trees. But Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself before the God of heaven and God restored him to his throne. The story of Nebuchadnezzar illustrates one of the important truths that all of us need to come to terms with. And that is the illusion of control. The illusion of control. You know, we think we are in control of our life, but we are not in control. We plan our life, but our life is in God's hands. And we come out of the womb thinking that the world revolves around us. I mean, you think about that. When a baby is born, everybody gathers around because babies are so cute and we're all just loving on them. And when they cry, we come to their attention or help them. When they have a need, we're there to meet that. Uh, when you're a parent or a grandparent, you know, you're taking pictures of your kids all the time because they change so much in those early years. And so kids kind of grow up thinking that the world just revolves around them. Have you ever watched a toddler play? One of their favorite words is the word mine. Mine. It's mine. And I love this uh, uh, thing that was put together uh, by a woman a number of years ago that was called the property laws of a toddler. It kind of describes their attitude toward their possessions. It says, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. <laughs> if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. And if you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And finally, if it's broken, it's yours. LAUGHTER 
<laughs> you know, and I, I look at that list and I wonder, though, if, it, if that isn't how God looks at the kings and rulers of the world sometimes. Because we've had rulers like Nebuchadnezzar, who basically has the same attitude. If I see it, you know, it's mine. If I am working on a building project and I need all the pieces, it's all mine. If I like it, it's mine, and I'll take whatever I want. But if it's broken or if it needs to be paid for, it's yours. And isn't it interesting how God responds to that, to that kind of attitude or pride? You know, there's only a couple places in Scripture where the Scripture says that God laughs. And both of them are in regard to that kind of attitude. In Psalm 2, verse 4, it is where the kings of the earth have gathered together against the Lord and his anointed one. And it says that God laughs at them. And again, in Psalm 59, verse 8, the nations are rising up against God. And God looks at what they're trying to do and he laughs at them. He's not alarmed. He's not fearful of what they may do or what earthly rulers may try to do. God is sovereign, and he is in absolute control of the world. Sometimes we think we are in control, but our life is in God's hands too. Proverbs says that in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And so God wants us to use the mind that he's given us to make good choices, to make wise decisions according to his words, but ultimately our life is in his hands. And he knows the plans that he has for us. So what does the scripture call us to do in response to that? The scripture calls us to surrender our life to him. God calls us to surrender our heart to him and to acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of our life. I'd like you to turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. The passage that talks about this living sacrifice. And there Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here is this call to surrender stated very clearly. But we find it in many places in the Scripture. We see examples of it all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. God called Abraham to leave his country, to leave his family and the things that he knew in his homeland, to go to a place that God was going to show him, a land that he did not know. And Abraham went, obeying and following the Lord's leading. Moses came to the burning bush, and God called him to take off his sandals, for the place where he was standing was holy ground. And God had an assignment for him to be his deliverer, to be the one who would communicate the message to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses went in obedience to God's call. Isaiah the prophet was called to speak God's words to a generation that had turned their back on God. But before he could do that, he needed to have his lips cleansed by fire. Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
was called by the angel and told that she was going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And Mary responded by saying, I am the Lord's handmaiden, a servant of God. Be it done to me according to God's word. The disciples were called by Jesus to leave their nets, to leave their occupations, and they left everything to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul was called to lay aside his pride, all of the things that he once took great satisfaction in, thought gave him status and significance in the eyes of the world and before God. And he was called to lay them all aside and to follow Jesus as Lord. And we must do it willingly. No one can make that decision for you. That call comes to each of us when we must decide for ourselves, what will we do? Will we lay aside our pride? Will we lay aside our ambitions and our things that we think are so precious to us? And will we put them all on the altar and give them to Jesus? That's what Paul is urging us to do here. He urges us to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And by that, he means that it is a decisive, one-time commitment to Christ where we come before Him and we acknowledge Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But it is a commitment that needs to be renewed every single day through the choices that we make. Every day we have a choice. How are we going to use our time? The talents that we've been given, the treasures that we have, the resources, the opportunities. Will we daily choose to follow Jesus as our Lord? You know, I think back in my own life. I asked Jesus to be my Savior and Lord when I was 10 years old. I can still remember that. I go back to that time and place, and it was one of those events where at a Covenant Bible camp, I walked that sawdust trail, if you will. The invitation was given, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. And I knew that something happened in my heart that day. But for me, it was really in those years in college you know, when I began to grow in my relationship with Christ through a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, that I renewed that commitment and gave myself fully to the Lord. And that commitment has deepened, and it has been renewed many times through the years. And I, I think that's normal for us. I think that's the way that it often is in our experience. We may make a commitment to Christ as a child, but there's only so much we understand when we're ten. And our knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus grows as we become an adult. And time and time again in our life, He's going to ask us to renew that commitment and follow Him. That's why Howard Hendricks said that the only trouble with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. You know, and we, we do that. We, we make our commitment to Christ and then there are things that come up and sometimes we can drift and we need to come back. We need to come back and say, Jesus, here I am, use me. For me, those commitments are often associated by significant events in my life, and often they are connected with worship or with a particular song. I think about our commissioning when God called us to go on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, and at the end of staff training, we had a commissioning service where we stood and we sang some maybe four or five thousand, I'm not sure the exact number that were there at that time, but we stood and we sang the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 
on which the Prince of Glory died. And I thought of the words of that song and how it ends with those words that love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You know, when we think about what Jesus did for us, how can we not give ourselves fully to Him? And be devoted to the work of the Lord and give Him our very best because of all that He has done for us. I think of a Promise Keeper conference here in the cities when there were 50,000 men singing, Knowing You, Jesus. There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And we sang that with great joy and commitment in our heart. Or do you remember the Sunday when uh, we had about 100 men down there and they came back and they stood up here at the front of the church and they sang, Rise up, O men of God have done with lesser things. And we had a testimony Sunday where all the men were sharing their testimonies and it was an unusual Sunday because the testimonies went on and on and we cut the message that day and we took a short break between the two services to kind of take care of the nursery and get get people repositioned and we just continued on with the second service of testimonies and praises and commitment that was made. And many of you that were here said that was the most powerful service that you had been at. A song, a day of commitment and joy. A resolve to live for Christ. A resolve that needs to be renewed time and time again in our life because we are human. And we can drift, or we can get distracted by other things, or we can lose our focus. What are those moments for you Have you surrendered your life fully to Christ? Or is that a commitment you'd like to renew today? You know, the third thing I want to point out in this passage is the freedom that comes with surrender. The freedom of surrender. And the joy that follows when we make that commitment. When we surrender our heart to the Lord, it opens up to each of us all of God's blessings. And there's no other way to experience that in your life but to come to Jesus and to say to Him, Here I am, Lord. Use me. And I give you my all. And when we do that, all of these blessings of God, His joy, His sense of purpose, His direction in our life, the fulfillment that comes from walking with Jesus, the seeing God use you in ministry or in service to be a blessing to others, being part of what God is doing in this world in a significant way, All of those things come to us when we commit ourselves to the Lord. Look at verse 2. When we choose to offer ourselves to God, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the renewing of our mind, by the Word of God. And we are set free from the things that are so much a part of this world. And not only that, if you want to know God's will for your life, the way to know it is to commit yourself to Him. Because Paul says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. What is God's will like for us? What is it that He wants us to do? Well, His good and pleasing and perfect will is there for us to know when we surrender our heart to Him. What a joy that is to walk with God each day in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we see that call and those promises in other places of Scripture too. In Psalm 37, verses 4 to 6, the Scripture says, 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. Even Jesus endured the suffering of the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And how great was that joy that it would overwhelm even the horrors of the cross. That Jesus knew what was on the other side. He knew the glory of heaven. He knew the salvation of all who would come to him because of what he did on that cross for us. And not everybody sees that or understands that. John Ortberg in his book tells a story about a woman, Joan Didion who was going through a very, very difficult time in her life. And she had a daughter who was sick and who was dying, and she came home one day, and she and her husband sat down to dinner, and her husband died of a massive coronary at the dinner table. And she struggled to make sense of it all, and she wrote how in the world that she operated in and the people that she knew, a very successful people, they believed absolutely in their own management skills. They believed in the power of the telephone numbers that they had in their fingertips, that they can make the call to the right doctor or to the major donor or the person who could facilitate things for them and give them a favor at the state or in the Justice Department. The management skills of these people were prodigious. And I had for myself, for most of my life, shared the same core belief in my ability to control events. And yet she said, some events just happen. And this was one of those events. You sit down to dinner and life as you know it ends. And in the end she concludes, we are all powerless. We live our lives above a frayed safety net. One of the lines that recurs in her book is a reaction to Jesus' teaching. I believe, she writes, that no eye is on the sparrow. And it is the last line in her book. That no eye is on the sparrow. And I hear in my mind George Beverly Shea singing, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. You know, if we are the master of the board, then our hopes die when we die. I mean, if that's all there is, you know, and we're the ones in charge of our life, and we're supposed to be the master that controls everything, then when I die, all my hopes die. But if there is another master, a better master, then there's a better hope. And what we find when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ is that there's a better way to live. There's a way to live that leads to greater freedom and greater peace and greater joy. Now I've asked Lauren to sing for us a song that was written a number of years ago by Michael Card that's called The Things We Leave Behind. The words are going to be up on the screen and I want you to look at the words as Lauren sings it for us. There sits Simon, so foolishly wise Proudly he's tending his nets Then Jesus calls, and the boat drifts away And all that he owns he forgets 
more than the nets he abandoned that day He found that his pride was soon drifting away And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find From the things we leave behind mindful of taking the tax and pressing the people to pay hearing the call he responded in faith follow the light of the way and leaving the people so puzzled he found the greatness in the heart was no longer around and it's hard to imagine the freedom we find Things we leave behind Every heart needs to be set free Possessions that hold it so tight Freedom's not found in the things that we own It's the power to do what is right Jesus, our only possession, giving becomes our delight. We cannot imagine the freedom we find, the things we leave behind. We show love for the world in our life. By worshiping goods we possess Jesus says lay all your treasures aside and Love God above all the rest So when we say no to the things of this world We open our hearts to the love of the Lord And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find The things we leave behind when we say no to the things of the world We open our hearts to the love of the Lord And it's hard to imagine The freedom we find and the things we leave behind and it's hard to imagine The things we find and the things we leave behind Thank you, Lauren. Have you experienced that freedom in your life? Leaving things behind and saying to Jesus, I want to find that better way. You know, it is the confidence that God is for me that changes everything. That I don't need to fear the future or fear those things that are out there because God is on my side. And God has a plan for my life. You know, I think of Joseph who experienced all of the trials of rejection by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused and put in prison. And yet when lifted up and restored, he could say what you intended for harm, God intended for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Or I think of Paul who could write in Romans 8.28 that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him 
and who have been called according to his purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? What is it that we need to do? Well, just like Nebuchadnezzar, we need to resign as master of the board and give ourselves totally to him. And how do we know if we have done that? You know, one of the things that John Orberg talked about in this study we're going to be looking at and that I think is so true is that giving is an act of confidence that God is in control. That when we learn to give back to the Lord ourselves, our time, our resources, that we are really, truly putting our trust in Him and not in ourselves. Because once again, you know, if I'm the master of the board or I feel like I have to hang on to everything I've got, you know, and kind of keep it all together, I'm not really trusting in God. But if I believe that God is for me, I can be generous. I can give because I know that God is going to provide for me. Jesus calls us to surrender our life to Him and in return what we find when we do that is greater freedom, greater peace, greater joy. Let's pray. Father, as we quiet our hearts before you, I just want to give you time to work in our heart right now. And Father, maybe this is the day. Maybe it's a day for you when you want to recommit yourself to the Lord. Maybe there is an area in your life where you've been holding on and wrestling with, and you know that. And God's been working on you. Maybe today's the day when you want to say to him, Jesus, here I am, all of me. Take me, use me, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be an ambassador for Christ in this world. Help me to put the things behind me that are so much a part of this world and to say yes to following you. Jesus, here I am. I give myself fully to you. Would you pray that? Would you commit your heart to Jesus in that way? And we pray this all in his name. Amen. Give my life to follow everything I believe in. 
us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.